You're listening to Pantry Raid, the podcast where we talk about how to make more food and less waste, one ingredient at a time. I'm your host, Hannah Messenger. I am first and foremost an eater. After that, recovering photographer, current food stylist, and professional people feeder. I've worked with food my entire life, but only in the last four years or so have I really embraced how to cook without a recipe, which is the goal here for you, just to get ideas for how to use what you have on hand with a little bit of guidance, but not rigidity. This week, we're talking about bread, mostly sourdough bread and mostly old bread. I'm not going to go over what to do with a really nice, fresh loaf. That's like asking, what do I do with a perfectly ripe in-season strawberry? Like, put it in your mouth and eat it. Make a sandwich, use some butter, you got this. We're talking about after you've paid, whatever, like $6 for a real deal nice loaf and maybe didn't seal the bag properly or left it out on the counter. I don't know what you did. It's not my business. But now you've got half of a loaf that is less than pristine. And I know that's something that a lot of you have on hand pretty often because when we play Pantry Raid on my Instagram stories every Monday, a lot of you tell me. The secret's out. Please tell me the rest of your kitchen secrets when we play Pantry Raid the game every Monday on my Instagram stories. You can find me at hmmessenger. That's M-E-S-S. I-N-G-E-R. And remember, there are no wrong foods, no wrong ingredients. You can tell me whatever you have. Pantry Raid is a non-judgmental game, and I will never reveal who you are unless you want me to. Just like last week, we are going to start with Don't Buy This because it's so important for the rest of the episode. And it's not so much a Don't Buy This as it is Don't Eat This. I know you thought I was going to say don't buy pre-made breadcrumbs, but I'm not above that. What's really important when working with stale or old bread is that you do not eat bread with mold on it. It's not like cheese where there's a little bit of white mold and you scrape it off and it's fine. It's not like a bag of spinach with one slimy leaf and you just throw that out. Bread mold has tentacles, like little roots that go all down through the bread and you usually can't see them with your naked eye. So if there's a little bit of mold on your bread, really don't risk it. There are a bunch of different types of bread mold. You never know what you're going to get. It can be toxic. You can be allergic to the mold. Some bread mold is a carcinogen. And worst, worst, worst scenario, this almost definitely is not going to happen to you. It's just an interesting point in human history. There's one type of fungus that can infect bread um, that makes you trip balls. It's infected communities as recent as 1951. There was an entire French town, like 200 and something people were infected by it showing symptoms of food poisoning, and then they had insomnia. They tried to jump out of windows and fling themselves into the river. Five people died. Um, I have heard that there are theories that the book of Revelation was written by someone tripping on this one type of bread mold and that the Salem witch trials happened because everyone was eating this contaminated bread in Salem and tripping that there were witches everywhere, and that combined with sexism you know, didn't end well. So when in doubt with moldy bread, 
Don't risk it. Put it in the compost and move on. Okay, no more horror stories, just carbo-loading. I don't actually know what that means. It just sounds fun. I probably do it like every day. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I had a tough time breaking this episode down into categories, which is what I normally do for you because bread is such a chameleon and it's a little unusual what I decided to do. We're going to talk about bread by size and shape, like breadcrumbs, pieces, slices, Um, because if there's one thing I learned from watching the Marie Kondo Netflix show, it is that categories don't have to make sense. They just have to give you a place to start. Am I right? I think let's go big to small slices first. If your bread is already so stale, not moldy, but so stale that you cannot cut through it, that thing where you run it underwater for a minute really does work. Just keep in mind, it's not gonna make your bread fresh again. It'll only get it to a place where you can slice it. Once you have some slices, then you have options. Like French toast, which I personally do not care for. Something about sweet things for breakfast, Mm, not for me. But I do make it for other people because I'm nice and I have no patience whatsoever for pan frying each individual piece of bread. Um, And it seems like French toast is always an occasion, like you're making it for a bunch of people. So if you're going to do that, put all your slices of bread on a sheet pan, pour the custard over them, cover it, let it sit in the fridge overnight. And when you're ready to cook it, take a new sheet pan, brush it with butter, put all the pieces down on it, and then put little pats of butter on top of them and pop it in the oven. And then everyone eats warm French toast all at once. It's funny when I record this podcast, I realized that talking out loud wakes up parts of your brain that writing things down does not. So I heard myself just now say, I don't like sweet things for breakfast, so I don't like French toast, but you can totally make savory French toast. That sounds delicious. I can't believe I've never had that or made that before. Let's swing back around to sweet things for just a sec. Apple Brown Betty's sometimes call for slices of bread, sometimes call for smaller pieces. My mom's recipe calls for slices. If you don't know what one is, it's kind of like making an apple pie, but you don't mess with crust at all. You just layer pieces of bread, sugar, butter, and slices of apple in a pie plate, and then you pour dry, boozy apple cider over the whole thing and bake it. I put vanilla ice cream on top of it and it tastes like the most delicious apple pie sundae of all time. I've never tried it with a different kind of fruit, but I see no reason it wouldn't work with any other high pectin fruit like pears, plums, apricots, that kind of thing. I'm really excited this weekend I am going to make French onion soup with some stale bread. Just to be clear, I know a lot of you see on my Instagram that I have homemade bread on hand a lot and I don't make it. My partner Ivan makes it and it's delicious and I appreciate it so much, but I cannot take credit for it. This week he made a 20% rye sourdough um, and I'm going to make a not proper at all French onion soup with caramelized onions and some spices, a little bit of chicken stock from my freezer, and to add that umami flavor that roasted beef bones would normally give a French onion soup, 
I'm going to put in some miso because miso makes everything better. If you don't believe me, listen to episode two about miso. Anyway, stale bread is so great in French onion soup because you put cheese on top of it. So it drinks up the grease from the cheese and then the broth under it soaks up into it. And God, it is so nice. That's a great place to start talking about pieces of bread, whether they are torn or perfect little cubes. A lot of the time when you're working with them, the goal is to dry them out a lot first so that they have the capacity to soak shit up. Since we're already drooling over soup, or at least I am, um, I'll go ahead and tell you my friend Sarah Gavigan makes this thing she calls refrigerator soup. And it's essentially Italian ribolita, only it's whatever vegetables and whatever beans she has on hand in her refrigerator. And where the bread comes in is at the end, maybe 10 or 15 minutes before she is ready to serve it, she'll take big pieces of torn stale bread and stir them in. And it's just enough time that they become not too hard and not too soft. They're almost dumpling-like but they take a meal that can feel not so filling and they make it hearty. That's kind of the magic of bread, isn't it? You add it to something that's a little too light or healthy and it makes it good again. For those of you who would like to lead a more bread-centric lifestyle like I do, I'd recommend panzanella, aka bread salad. A good rule of thumb for making it is this. You need four one-inch thick slices of bread to somewhere in the ballpark of a cup and a quarter of vinaigrette, which seems like way too much, but that's how dry you want the bread to be in the beginning. You'll also need one vegetable, whatever you like. Recently, y'all saw I had roasted butternut squash, and you need one maybe two, three, or four herbs. I had green onions and parsley, and you can really have fun with the vinaigrette. Um, You can flavor the oil. You can use nice olive oil, lemon juice. If you have brine left over from pickling onions, that's super good for panzanella. Uh, You can get really creative, and it ends up being like a breakfast for dinner type thing if you add eggs, which is what I do. Another kind of catch-all thing you can make with bread and eggs is estrada, which is like an egg-heavy, savory bread pudding. It's a really happy home for whatever cheese and vegetables you have left over. I especially like flavoring it with Dijon mustard, gives it a little bit of a kick, and um, it'll stay good all week. You can make a big one and then have it for dinner. Breakfast for dinner forever. Should you want to not follow in my footsteps and lead a less bread-centric lifestyle, make croutons. There's nothing like a homemade crouton. It is exponentially better than the store-bought kind. When you make them, just salt and pepper the shit out of them and make sure they get really golden and crispy. Make sure they're the right size. If they're too big, they'll cut your mouth as you try to chew on them. Um, But they'll stay good for a really long time too in a really good airtight container. Now, I'd like to point out that There's kind of a gray area between crouton-sized pieces of bread and breadcrumbs. There is such a thing as a large breadcrumb. 
And I bring that up because there's this recipe from Bon Appetit that holds a real special place in my heart, so special that I actually follow the recipe. It's super simple. It's just a recipe for cream Swiss chard with shallots. You guys know how I feel about shallots. Uh, But then you top it with these torn lemony breadcrumbs that you crisp up in a pan with generous amounts of olive oil. And it was published in 2014 And it really taught me to put crispy breadcrumbs on top of everything, which I tell you guys to do when we play Pantry Raid. So yes, breadcrumbs. Put them on everything. Salads, pasta, risotto, creamed greens. Just do a controlled crisp, which is what I just said. Put them in a pan and crisp them yourself. I don't like these recipes that say, and then you put the breadcrumbs on top of the macaroni and cheese and pop it all in the oven and hope your oven's going to do you right today. Like that's too much chance for me. I want the perfect, 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 crunchiest, crispiest golden brown breadcrumb topping possible. So I take matters into my own hands and so should you. Of course, breadcrumbs are for so much more than topping Obviously, you can fry with them. You can also use them to make dumplings. That's pretty common around the world. Um, There's an Italian version that is a lot like a gnocchi or a nudie. The word for it, I cannot say, but it translates to mean strangled priest or priest strangler. I don't know why. If you know why, please let me know. There's a German version that I haven't had, and I can't say the word for that either. But it reminds me a lot of a matzo ball, which makes sense because a matzo ball is just an unleavened bread dumpling. So there you go. When you're working with homemade breadcrumbs, you absolutely must do one of three things. You can toast them and store them in an airtight container for about a week. You can put them in a bag and freeze them for up to three months, or you can go ahead and use them before they get moldy. And if you're going to do the last one, consider using them to thicken things. There's tomato soup thickened with breadcrumbs. Super classic. There's also an Italian version of salsa verde that's thickened with breadcrumbs, which you could wing that in a million different ways if you have a bunch of herbs on hand. I especially like it because you put it on top of bread. It's like bread on bread action, and I'm here for that. This last story I'm going to tell you about breadcrumbs is like a, not to brag, but yeah, to brag situation. When I was maybe 25, I got this really great deal on a round trip flight to Spain and my friend and her brother were living there. So I got to stay for free and they took me to this picnic in the countryside outside of Barcelona, but it wasn't just a picnic. It was a calcitata a party in the early springtime to celebrate and eat a lot of this special kind of onion called a calçote. And the word that calçote is derived from is a verb that means to pull your boots on because that's the motion you use as you pull them out of the ground. They're a little bit like leeks. At the party, they grilled the calçotes on this big open fire grill looking thing until they turned completely black and then they wrapped them up in old newspapers to let them steam. Once they had steamed for a little while, we unwrapped them, pulled the charred part off, and here's where breadcrumbs come in, dipped them in romesco. Not romanesco, that's a cauliflower. Romesco is a pepper sauce thickened with breadcrumbs. You can serve it with whatever vegetable you like, 
But if you want to recreate a calcitata experience, you can serve it with braised leeks, or you can cut leeks in half lengthwise and put them on the grill until they're soft, and then have your own little backyard calcitata. Recently, I also had meatballs that had been dipped in romesco and then rolled in crunchy breadcrumbs just on toothpicks, like party style, and it was great, like truly great. Although they were pork meatballs and I didn't realize until I put it in my mouth and I'm allergic to pork, so I got to taste it and then spit it out because I'm a mortifying human being. Special thanks to the staff of Catbird Seat for that one who did not hold it against me for spitting out their food and laughed with me not at me. A few housekeeping notes before we wrap up. You can still support the podcast on Patreon, and I highly recommend joining the $5 tier, uh, which is the tier that is literally buying me time to work on the podcast and develop recipes for you, the $5 tier. The more of you there are, the more recipes there can be. You can find out more at patreon.com slash HM messenger. That's M-E-S-S-I-N-G-E-R. Also new this week, if you join my newsletter, I will be sending out a recap of each episode with links to some of the recipes I talk about, like the creamed Swiss chard with lemony breadcrumbs. To do that, just go to the bottom of hmmessenger.com and enter your email address. This episode was written by me, Hannah Messenger, and produced by Tony Gonzalez. I hope you join me every Monday when we play Pantry Raid the game on my Instagram stories. And in the meantime, make more food and less waste.